Listener Production. Hello, you are listening to The Briefing. My name is Jan Fran. Today is Thursday, the 3rd of June. I'm joined by Katrina Blowers in the state of Queensland. I'm in New South Wales. Hello. (laughs) We're both really feeling it for the people of Victoria. Yeah, we really are. I have a very close girlfriend who lives in Victoria who's homeschooling three young children and she is really feeling this extension of the lockdown another seven days. Yeah, we're going to be talking about that in the show. Also in the show today, some stories from across the ditch. I want you to imagine that you've come to Australia when you're nine years old, you live here, you go to school here, you grow up here, you raise a family here, your whole life is here. Yeah, and then one day you are forced to pack your bags and return to a country where you don't know anyone and you're made to spend the rest of your life there. There are thousands of stories like this and most of them are from New Zealanders. You're asking people who've lived their entire lives in Australia to go back to another country where they have no support whatsoever. It breaks up families, it breaks up lives and it's counterproductive. Yeah, our briefing today is going to look at Australia's deportation laws and why so many Kiwis are getting caught up in it, but also why they're fighting back. Coming up in just a second, but first to the headlines, we start with Victoria. So Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews has urged the state to keep fighting as the lockdown in Melbourne is extended for another week. So right now, the acting Premier James Molino is in charge. He announced yesterday um, that the end date of restrictions in Melbourne is going to be pushed back until the 10th of June. I'm sure this is news that nobody in Melbourne wanted to hear, but the cluster in the city does continue to grow. If we let this thing run its course... Uh, it will explode. We've got to run this to ground because if we don't, people will die. So we heard from Andrews via Twitter last night and he acknowledged that another lockdown would be really hard for Melbournians but would also help save lives. Yeah, now the extension was announced as Victoria copped six more local COVID cases just yesterday, including a second resident of the Arcare Aged Facility in Melbourne's West. Andrew's made the comments, they were actually his first comments in almost two months. Um, He's been on sick leave. He suffered some pretty serious injuries, falling down some stairs in March. Yeah, and he said he would actually be revealing later this month when he will be returning as Premier. Even though Melbourne, Greater Melbourne, is going to be on lockdown for another week, I guess there is some good news for regional Victoria. Restrictions are going to be lifted there tomorrow as long as no more cases crop up outside of Melbourne. Mm. But a lot of restrictions will remain and businesses are going to have to check IDs for every single person who comes through the door to make sure no one's coming in from yeah. Greater Melbourne. Yeah, I was, I was listening to the news last night about it and there were a couple of business owners that were interviewed at the sort of saying, I really don't want to do this. It's the worst part of their job having to check the IDs of people. But I guess just to stay oh. on top of it, there are things you have to do that you don't want to. The Melbourne cluster is now sitting at 60 cases and Brett Sutton says he is confident that, you know, the lockdown will go for another week, hopefully not much more. Well, New South Wales authorities are tracking down all possible contacts of a Victorian family who travelled through the southern part of the state while possibly infectious with COVID. Contact tracing has successfully contacted 243 people. Yeah, New South Wales Chief Health Officer there, Kerry Chant, 
a husband, wife and their son from Victoria all tested positive after travelling around southern New South Wales. This was late last month. Authorities are not sure, though, which of them spread the virus to others. Yeah, and that's significant because if it was the father in that um, family scenario, Mm. then he had it for longer, so he may have been less infectious. But if it was the others, um, then then more people may have been affected and they're actually reviewing CCTV footage of all the locations they went to to see how close they got to other people while they were in those locations. There have been long testing lines in towns like Goulburn and Jervis Bay where the family visited several venues. This stuff is so special. Specific. I was listening to Kerry Chant talk about it as well, and she was um, referring to another outbreak in New South Wales a couple of months ago, and they were able to pinpoint the exact moment that the transmission happened. You know, it's, it's very detailed stuff. The government also confirmed, the government of New South Wales, that is, that there'd be no changes to border arrangements between the state and Victoria. Um, now this, yep. this comes, Jan, as the WHO is really pushing for us to change our language around these yes. COVID variants, <laughs> which is which is incredibly, I guess, a wonderfully um, Noble. intentioned endeavour. Yes, <laughs> so I agree. So instead of saying things like the UK variant or the Indian variant, which I guess does create some stigma and possibly racist overtones, uh, they're wanting us to say, that the UK variant is the Alpha variant and the Indian variant will be renamed the Kappa variant. Do you think that's going to stick though, Jan? Uh, you know what? It's not sticking in my brain. I was Again, I was kind of reading about it yesterday and I'm, I'm like, hang on, hang on. Which one's the Alpha? Which one's <laughs> Kappa comes from? Which one's... Do-? Some of them are labelled variants of concern and some of them are labelled variants of interest. And variants of concern are more transmissible. They're harder to contain, i.e. the Melbourne one. The Melbourne one, that's not even a name. The Kappa one, <laughs> which is the Indian one. See, I'm confused already trying to get I this think information we're out. I people even more. Yeah, I think it's noble. I, I don't know if it'll stick. Parliament has debated new legislation which would secure the right to a refund to holidaymakers whose travel has been cancelled. I think that's most of us listening Mm. today due to factors outside human control. Yeah, this was proposed by uh, Liberal MP Kevin Andrews. He's the one behind the bill. He told the ABC that it's not about targeting the travel agents. They'll also be supported. There needs to be something in Australia, just as there is in some other countries overseas, to ensure that both the consumer and, I think indirectly, the travel agent is protected. So this is one of those rare pieces of legislation that's got support across the board. Labor MPs are are all for this as well. Representatives from both parties saying they've been approached by their constituents over the issue. I bet they have. Yeah, I mean, the the argument is that if consumers had just a little bit more certainty that they might get their money back from travel agents, they'd be more likely to book tickets and hopefully be able to follow through if there was, you know, no major situation that unfolded. I know from the Australian Tourism Industry Council that normally we'd see 9 million travellers bringing in about $45 billion mm. annually. Um, this is overseas travellers coming to Australia. That's now gone. I mean, that just that went, you know, from one day to the next. So we've got to make that up nationally and we really want to be encouraging Australians to travel around Australia and this is hopefully one way to do it. Yeah, and normally under consumer law, like if you buy a product and you don't get it, you're protected. And travel is the one 
loophole, I guess, in this consumer legislation that isn't covered by that, which is so interesting. Yeah. So uh, I think this is going to take a little while to resolve because travel agencies don't hold that money. They often pay it forward to overseas travel providers. um, So they're going to be really stuck in the middle with this one. But there's Mm. got to be something that can be done. Well, that's the proposal, isn't it? That travel agents hold the money they don't pay it forward until the consumer knows for sure that they can go on holiday. And if they can't, that money which sits in a trust gets refunded back to the consumer. Well, and the UN says that this pandemic has pushed back progress on fighting global poverty by more than five years. With a comparison to 2019, an estimated 31 million working people are now classified as extremely poor. Five years of progress in reducing working poverty have been wiped out by this crisis. Uh, That does not sound good. That was the director of the UN's International Labour Organisation, Guy Ryder, speaking there. The ILO also said that the pandemic had hit global employment hard with job levels across the world really unlikely to recover until 2023. And this has really hit at the margins of those most vulnerable, Mm. so people who are already kind of living um, on the edge. And also it had a big impact on women right across the world. Um, Women have been disproportionately affected by COVID Mm. lockdowns doing the bulk of homeschooling and also increased their domestic duties in the home. Yeah, it looks like some of the patterns that we're seeing here are kind of replicated around the world as well. Okay, coming up, we're heading across the ditch to hear from Kiwis deported from Australia to what they say feels like a foreign country. Since 2014, and figures vary slightly here, around 2,000 New Zealanders have been deported from Australia because they failed a character test. Here's how then Home Affairs Minister Peter Dutton described them. It's taking the trash out, then we can make Australia a safer place. Yeah, how about that, taking the trash out? This issue of Kiwi deportations has been a real source of tension between Australia and New Zealand, and the New Zealand PM Jacinda Ardern made no attempt to hide that. The New Zealand and Australia relationship is being tested. Send back Kiwis, genuine Kiwis. Do not deport your people and your problems. Yeah, that was from a press conference that uh, the NZPM gave with Scott Morrison actually in February of last year. And I remember that one being a pretty tense press conference uh, Mm. because of this reason. Under Section 501 of the Australian Migration Act, visas of non-citizens, non-Australian citizens, can be cancelled on character grounds. And in 2014, this section was updated to say that anyone who received a prison sentence of 12 months or more was automatically in breach of those character ground conditions and they could be deported. Yeah, so last year, Australian Border Force removed 346 Kiwis And Taryn O'Dowd was one of them. Now, she was deported to New Zealand in February this year. Despite having grown up in Australia, she went to uni in Australia, she paid taxes here, she even has two children here. And now she's not allowed to come back. At this point, ever. And she joins us on The Briefing now. Tell us a bit about your story. Give us a picture of, you know, where you were born and how you came to be in Australia. Mum and Dad packed us up and moved over there and I was... Nine, I think it was 1988 when I moved to Australia. 
I've gone back twice. I went back once with my parents for a holiday and then after my mum had bowel cancer, I brought mum back over for a holiday for 10 days. I think I've spent maybe three weeks in New Zealand since, since we moved to Australia. So where would you consider to be home? And I guess what's your citizenship status then? So my citizenship status is that I am a New Zealand citizen. I mean, I just I never gave it any thought. Like, I, mm. it's just not something that you think about on it on a on a daily basis, I guess, because Australia is my home. I do consider myself Australian. Everyone that I speak to here goes, "Oh, you're from Aussie, are you?" And I'm like, "Yep." <laughs> so yeah, I mean, 32 years. I think that classifies Australia as my home. And you never had any issues not having Australian citizenship on paper. No. Not one. Um, so I went to university in Australia. So I have a hex debt, um, you know, in Australia. I was, yeah, because we arrived, I think it was before like 1989, we were entitled to, we were permanent residents. So the only thing I didn't have to do was vote. So Taryn, you, you, I guess you never really thought about it until things took a bit of a turn in your life. Um, fill us in on what happened. I've lived a, a really good life in Australia. Like I was a law-abiding citizen. I used to work at a prison. Um, so I had, you know, really clean criminal history. Then I had a relationship breakdown, um, partner of 12 years and I um, separated and I, I didn't cope very well with it. And I fell in with the wrong people, I guess, and just, yeah, um, got into drugs and things. Yeah, just went south. <laughs> and so did you end up getting a prison sentence that was longer than 12 months? I did. So I got an 18-month prison sentence, um, which meant automatically my visa was cancelled. Which And when they came to see me to tell me that my visa had been cancelled, I was like, oh, no, sorry, you've made a mistake. I'm a permanent resident. Like, it doesn't apply to me. So I had no idea um, that it was a thing at all. What was that moment like for you, sort of being approached by officials and being told, oh, you have to leave to New Zealand and you thinking that you're a permanent resident this whole time? I, I, I was in complete disbelief. I really thought with having two children uh, that I just, I just couldn't believe that they would actually deport me. I, I've, the whole time I was like, yeah, no, it's going to be fine. They, they will see that I'm a decent person and that I made a mistake. They will understand. You mentioned two kids. What's mm-hmm. the impact on them been like and, and do you get to see them? Like what, what's yeah. happened there? Um, well, see, the, the worst part about that as well is when I went to prison was um, just before COVID. So once COVID hit, there were no visits. So I haven't actually seen, physically seen my children in over two years now. Um, I mean, I I FaceTime them um, just about every day, but it's uh, it's not the same. It's, you're just missing out on their day-to-day life. It's, it's yeah, it's definitely impacted them. Of course, it, it has. It's you know, their mum's gone. Like, and I know that people think that I was a drug addict, but the thing was, is I only started with drugs after my breakup. And whenever I would go and visit my children, I never ever was on drugs. I wasn't a massive drug addict. Mm. They don't understand the bigger picture of everything that's happened, and you can't explain that to an eight-year-old and a twelve-year-old. Can you come back to Australia or you just can't set foot in the country anymore? Is that it? That's right. So when your visa is cancelled under Section 501 of the Migration Act, you're never allowed to return. So when do you expect to see your children again? Well, um, I'm really lucky because I still have a reasonably good relationship with my ex-partner and um, my mum and dad, obviously. My whole family lives in Australia, so mum and dad said they will bring the kids over to see me. 
So I'm hoping that the next school holidays they'll be able to come over. But with again with COVID and everything, it's it's all very it's such a fluid situation that you can't ever really guarantee that you know anyone's going to be able to travel. So Taryn, I'm trying to wrap my head around how it felt for you when you got off the plane. Your whole life is in Australia, or your yeah. family's in Australia. What was that moment like for you? What was your situation that you faced when you got off the plane in February? Well, see, the, th- the thing for me is I was on a plane with a lot of people that hadn't spent so much time in Australia. So they were all talking to family and, you know, family were coming to pick them up after they'd finished quarantine. I, I really, that was when I felt really alone is when everybody else was sort of getting picked up by family and it was, they were all happy and there was hugs and because I don't, I don't really know anyone here. I guess there are some people, Taryn, who might say that, well, you're not technically an Australian citizen and, you know, there are consequences if you commit a crime and you must be willing to pay the consequences. I think even Peter Dutton, who's our Home Affairs Minister, um, referred to this process as taking out the trash. What do you say to that? How does that make you feel? I didn't set out to become a criminal. I, you know, went through some pretty tough times and I made a mistake. I, like, I spent 32 years there. I've, I've paid taxes in Australia my whole life. I've, I performed well most of my life for 25 years um, without ever breaking the law. I am a product of Australia and I'd, I don't know how you can just sort of dismiss someone. Have you been given any hope? Where to from here for you? I mean, I can't keep restarting my life. Like, I'm 41 now. I can't keep restarting my life. But I just think about if my, like, what if my child's in a car accident or, you know, or even the happy things, like they get married. Like, I'm not allowed to go back to that. I just think if there was some sort of incentive for 501s, like if we were able to reapply for visas after three to five years, it might give, I think it would be good for both countries because then the 501s coming back here you know, they've got some incentive to perform well and do well and, and you know, be law-abiding citizens. But when you're sent back with no hope, it's kind of, why bother? That was Taryn O'Dowd talking to us from New Zealand and a pretty intense story. Having grown yeah. up here in Australia her whole life, two kids here, now having to start this new life back in New Zealand. Absolutely devastating for her. And we know that Taryn's not the only one that these laws have affected, Jan. No, no. Let's go to Greg Barnes now. He's a a barrister in Tasmania. He's represented multiple people that have been trying to appeal their deportations to New Zealand. Um, He's firmly against the way that this law has been used. Greg, welcome. Tell us why you're against the law. It's unfair. You're asking people who've lived their entire lives in Australia to go back to another country where they have no support whatsoever. It breaks up families, it it breaks up lives, uh, and it's counterproductive. Greg, this appears to be affecting New Zealanders disproportionately. Is that right? Is that something that you've also seen yourself? And if so, why? A lot of New Zealanders who came to Australia found it really hard to get citizenship because of uh, changes in the law uh, over a number of years. And so they just kept their New Zealand citizenship. But many of them have lived their whole lives in Australia. They'd be the children of uh, migrants from New Zealand. There's also been quite a lot of disadvantage that uh, particularly uh, some New Zealanders have experienced in Australia. So they've tended then to be at a higher risk of uh, committing a crime. So have you found with some of the people you've represented that some of these people are surprised that they're eligible for deportation? They are because, you know, you can get someone, for example, who's in their late 30s or 40s, lived all their life in Australia and suddenly they get a letter from the Immigration Department saying, uh, sorry, we're going to deport you. 
they've got no link with New Zealand other than the fact that their parents came from New Zealand or they may have been born in New Zealand themselves. So what rights does someone who has been deported under this law then have to try and get back to Australia, if any rights at all? If the minister cancels your visa personally, then you have to go to the federal court and argue that the minister got it wrong in applying the law. If it's the department which cancels your visa, you can go to the Administrative Appeals Tribunal and have the whole matter heard again. Many people do that, and I've acted for a number of people from New Zealand and other countries who've done that and been successful. Quite a lot of New Zealanders simply decide to go back to New Zealand. So what sort of crimes have these people committed? It can be anything from the most serious crime, uh, you know, serious assaults, uh, uh, sexual offences, to just having a long history of relatively minor crime. That particularly applies to young people um, who've had a troubled youth. But, uh, you know, it can be any any form of offence at all. I guess some people might say that if you've committed a crime, then you should just swallow it up and accept the punishment. Do you think that's a reasonable stance to take? You need to put this in perspective. So ministers have always had the power under the Migration Act uh, for a long time now to be able to uh, deport people. The difference is since 2014, there has been an increase in the number of visa cancellations on character grounds by almost 1,300%. So in other words, a power that was used pretty sparingly by ministers is now used by ministers and the department to an extraordinary degree. Now, it's a 1,240% increase since December 2014 is, is massive. That was lawyer Greg Barnes, who has represented deported Kiwis. Yeah, I guess the issue with this particular law is that it's, you know, it's a blunt instrument. It's a one-size-fits-all thing and there's no kind of um, consideration given for any grey areas like variations in the degree of the crimes committed or, you know, how long people have lived here for. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it's diabolical to think that you can spend 30 years living somewhere, you think you're fine, and then something happens in your life and all of a sudden you realise you're not and your whole life changes forever. That's our show today. Tomorrow, Naomi Osaka drops out of the French Open, citing too much pressure on her mental health. So whose fault is that? Is it ours? Are we putting too much pressure on athletes? That's tomorrow. See you soon. Listener.